If it's alright, oh, yeah. I wanna kick it with you all night, all night. Woo. Have a good time. Ain't gotta worry, cause it's alright, it's alright. We've got one of the most shocking retirements in the history of the NFL. We've got torn ACLs. We got Zeke speaking to Maxim Magazine. It was one of the craziest weekends. The NFL has seen in a while. Welcome to the Four Downs Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Andrew Scherer. Alongside me is Scott Smith. And Scott, I mean, we thought it was going to be a fun weekend because of all these drafts going on, but it turned into be just kind of the days of our lives uh, season NFL. It was kind of nuts. Yeah, man, it's bombshell after bombshell. And we've got guys moving up in in the rankings. We've got guys moving down in the rankings. We're in peak draft season. A lot of drafts are going on. I've got an auction draft as soon as uh, we get done here. So, look, it's that time of year, and it's time to be flexible and move up and move down and and adjust and make some picks. A guy who's seeming to move up on draft boards. We're going to get right into news. I tied that in. I was being funny, but I I, I find it newsworthy. I find it newsworthy that today it was um, it was discovered that um, Zeke spoke with Maxim Magazine, saying how he wants to be a cowboy for life. He loves the Cowboys. Sounds pretty confident, but he's also noting that he's willing to get his money and get what he deserves, thanks to Todd Gurley. But I mean, Scott Zeke seems to be like he's going to come back. So you know, what are you doing with Tony Pollard? I mean, Zeke wants to be a cowboy, but do you think he wants to be a cowboy before Week One? Yeah, I, I just think the window for the Cowboys to win a Super Bowl is within the next year or two, and Jerry Jones is going to make that happen and make sure he gets the guys under contract that he needs. I, I don't foresee Zeke missing time. It's it's what I've said all, all during this offseason process and throughout preseason. I, I think as we get closer, both sides seem to want deals done. I don't think they're that far apart, if the news is correct, that the Cowboys did offer him to make him the second highest paid running back behind Todd Gurley. It doesn't seem like they're they're going to be that far off. Um, With that being said, the Cowboys do have some leverage because of the way that Tony Pollard played throughout the preseason, actually getting some comparisons to Alvin Kamara. I think that's a bit lofty. But with that being said, you're going to go ahead and and see the Cowboys and Zeke, I think, over the next week or two. I think the sides are going to come close and and you're going to go ahead and and see Zeke in camp. Tony Pollard is shooting up draft boards like crazy. Be careful. Uh, I drafted Zeke yesterday and I got sniped on Pollard in like round seven. So it's happening. People are reaching on Pollard. I think they're, it's partially just to be a dick to the Zeke owner. And it's also partially because the guy's going to get some work if Zeke is out. So you're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, really quickly also is another potential first round running back. Last night, Pittsburgh looked awesome. Uh, it was against the Titans. We saw Juju Smith-Schuster ball out like we think he's going to do. We also saw James Conner who... Scott, he looks good, and I'm not just saying that. I mean, the guy looks good, right? It's not just me. Yeah, you know, one of the guys that that I, I was a little bit down on and having trouble getting a read on was Connor. And in our, our running back preview, I, I said uh, out of the top twelve running backs, I thought there was some danger there with him. And you know, I like Jalen Samuels, and I thought that you'd see Jalen Samuels getting some of the work. But look, in, in what we do here and trying to project outcomes. It, I like to have a, a evidence-based uh, process, and if I look at the evidence right now, I have to change my opinion based upon the way James Conner's played in preseason, based upon the snaps that he's got with the first team and just the usage. James Conner doesn't look like he's going to be in any trouble of getting any of his his snaps and any any of the 
his usage within that first down, second down, and third down roll there for Pittsburgh. So I, I see him as a three down roll, and and he's getting safer. I, I might actually pull the trigger on him here in the next week, and I'm drafting the eight spot in a couple of drafts, and, and I, I think I might actually pull uh, pull the trigger and give me a little bit of James Conner on, on my rosters. I don't think it would be a bad take. I originally um I originally had Connor's RB five. I was high on him, and then I got scared off by everybody, and I got scared off of Jalen Samuels, but. I mean, look, Connor looks good. Um, you know, he's four four years removed from cancer, so he looks healthy. He looks ready to go. Let's go in some injuries really quickly. We're not going to touch on him for too long. Scott Kenyon Drake back at practice today. It is a limited capacity, but he's back on the field. So I think the rumblings are that he's going to be out there week one. And uh, is, is it a coincidence that he's come back after we've seen Kalen Balaj look like absolute dog shit for the past two weeks? Look, I think Kenyon Drake's going off the board right now as a value at running back 30. I think he definitely has top 24 upside as far as the running back position goes. So I think if you're in those late to middle rounds, you know, where, where the running backs start to to fall off that, that round six range, I think he's definitely a value there with some upside left to, to go ahead and outproduce his ADP. No, we're actually going to stay in Miami with this next news. So kind of a two-part right here. Number one, Albert Wilson is back. They were kind of hush-hush on his status and how he's been doing, but all of a sudden he's back and ready to go. He's got no limits. And then on the flip side, Kenny Stills is getting shopped um, You know, down here locally in New Orleans. I heard a rumbling about Stills to New Orleans, like would be a possibility um, if they were kind of two sides could reach an agreement. But look, Stills got a big contract. But anyway, Scott, so I think right here, so – if Stills, let's say hypothetically, Stills goes to another team, anybody really, and then Albert Wilson is healthy alone, that's huge fantasy boost for those two guys, right? I think where there's smoke, there's fire, especially in the Kenny Stills trade department, because particularly he's been very political and he's not been too complimentary. Uh, He's not been too complimentary of his owner. So when things like that happen, you, you start questioning your owner and the guy that's paying you. I think it's definitely some smoke going on where he may end up getting traded. And you have to really look at what his upside is going to be. I don't think much changes for Kenny Stills if he moves to another team. I think wherever he goes, he'll he'll be the wide receiver too on a team, especially in New Orleans. But you, you're looking at him probably getting wide receiver one snaps here in Miami because there's just not much else. You know, Devontae Parker's been a bust up until this point. And, and if Albert Wilson comes in and, and really takes that job and Kenny Stills moves over, I think both of them will be kind of capped around like the 800 to 850 yard range and, and five to six touchdowns. I mean, look, I, I think we were all impressed by what we saw with Albert Wilson last year. He looked like a, a really good talent. So an interesting player, especially if Stills is out of there. And I think even if his st- Stills is there, it's going to be a little int- intriguing. So, Last set of news, this kind of ties in with our keeper talk today. So, Jarek McKinnon looks like he's finally going to hit the field this week. Um, You know, Jarek McKinnon was the talk of the offseason last year. I mean, this guy was going in the second and third rounds of drafts. It was hilarious. No offense. Then he tears his ACL. Now you have him being banged up again, getting cortisone injections. Now he's going to be back. And he's coming back just in time for us to start liking Matt Breida more and more. It's just, Scott, this is a jumbled mess, right? I mean, are we just going to hope that Jarek McKinnon somehow gets cut? I don't know. Like, I I don't like this at all. I mean, I I just, you know, what are you thinking about the San Francisco backfield? 
Look, at this point in time, McKinnon's basically free coming off the board at a running back 58. But with that being said, I think the 49ers are in a tough position with McKinnon. My understanding is that he came back off of the the pup list and and practiced at least one time already. So they're going to be unable to put him back on the pup list to start the season, which means they have to make a decision whether it's going to be short-term or long-term IR. My concern and the red flag for me is that if he's been having this much of an issue, especially when you start looking at other guys like Cooper Cup that are covering from the same injury without any setbacks uh, he's just a guy that i'm gonna go ahead and stay away from those running backs have to plant and cut off that knee and usually it's another year after where running backs actually start recovering and and playing back to their full potential off of that injury um i, I just have too many concerns with Jarek mckinnon i think he's somebody that is either going to go undrafted or basically be a last round pick in your draft so i don't think you need to concern and i think we'll get into it later since we are going to be talking about sleepers i think we're both high on matt breda and his potential in this offense any anything newsworthy scott you think we're missing here is a really busy weekend so there's a lot of news that kind of feel like went under the radar you know, I think the other thing we need to talk about when we talked about Duke Johnson and the Lamar Miller injury, Houston went ahead and signed Jay Ajayi. And while he does have a, a history with the knee injury and stuff, he did play pretty well when he was on the field last year. So, uh, you know, we talked about Duke Johnson possibly being the starter there. I, I still think Duke is going to be ticketed for that 10 to 12 carry role. And with Jay Ajayi, I think he's going to be a perfect complement to go ahead and take some of the early down work and, and not have Duke Johnson bang him between the tackles game in and game out so it might cap the usage and the volume that we're kind of projecting duke johnson to get but look on 10 to 12 carries maybe some games 15 i think duke's going to be a phenomenal value jay ajayi somehow still kicking still somehow might be fantasy relevant well look let's jump right into keepers we're going to get this going right here so kind of our layout for our show today guys we're doing we're doing sleepers only me and Scott picked a quarterback each, two running backs, two wide receivers, and a tight end. And we're going to briefly briefly talk about them, give you some ADPs, where you can expect them to go, and kind of the upside where we see that they could land. Um, I'm going to start things off with Jimmy Garoppolo. I talked about him on the quarterback show. And I think just where you're getting Garoppolo is just totally worth it. Um, you know, you're seeing him come off the board overall kind of around that ADP 157. He's got an easy strength to schedule. He's coming off the board around QB 20, 21-ish, so... I just really love what Garoppolo brings. I think you look at the Kyle Shanahan offense. You look at what Jimmy G looked like early on last year. I mean, I think we saw some interception issues, uh, you know, five picks in five games, basically. So it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, you look at Jimmy and you see what's around him, I think is really what appeals to me the most. I think we loved McKinnon last year. I loved Breda last year because of Kyle Shanahan. You see what he does to these offenses and I just I think San Francisco has an underrated slew of weapons. I think we like to take our knocks against Dante Pettis and move him down in rankings, but we all have George Kittle main, mainly as that tight end to, you know, if you move Pettis down or not, you're still going to have him probably in that top 34 range. Um, you know, Marquise Goodwin, Debo, Debo Samuel, I mean, those guys who aren't maybe going to be as fantasy relevant, but they're weapons. They're weapons in an offense that I think is going to have to throw a lot due to the fact that that defense is just, it's not where John Lynch wants it to be out there. I know they're kind of focusing on a rebuild around that defense, but I just don't see it happening this year for them. But look, I think this is the San Francisco 49ers team who can win six games. And I think if Jimmy G stays on the field, he could possibly do that. I mean, you know, the guy looked decent last year. He threw for around 275 yards in those first three games, a piece, you know, that was per game. So I just... I'm intrigued by him. Um, I kind of like what he brings to the table, and I think it just, again, it's an underrated slew of weapons. 
you mix that in with the bad defense, and I want all of the Jimmy Garoppolo. He's going at the point where he's going to be your backup quarterback, or he might even be a guy who's going to reach waivers. So really excited with Jimmy G. I think he is you know, one of the better upside plays as your quarterback, too. Um, I mean, I, I do like guys like Lamar Jackson. Um, kind of Kyler Murray is kind of starting in redraft. I can tell he's kind of sometimes going as that quarterback, too. I got him as quarterback, too, in a draft yesterday. So in that range, I might like those guys kind of higher, but... Jimmy G, man, I just I think you can get him in the last round of drafts, and um, you could possibly have yourself a QB one by the end of the year. I think he definitely has that ten uh, kind of QB ten upside. Um, Scott, I'll let you talk a little bit. Do you kind of groove that sentiment? Do you like Kyle Shanahan, or what are your thoughts on Jimmy G? Look, I like the Kyle Shanahan offense. I like some of what we've seen out of Jimmy Garoppolo. The the real issue is that it just seems like the guy's been around forever. And then when I go look at his career, he's only started 10 games. So we have a very small sample size of which to work with for evaluating Jimmy Garoppolo and and what exactly he's going to do. When we start looking at it, five out of the 10 games, he's thrown multiple touchdowns. And and in five out of the 10 games, he's thrown as many interceptions as he's thrown touchdowns. So it's a mixed bag with Jimmy Garoppolo. It just depends on what you're going to get. And and really, I think when you start looking at that Kyle Shanahan offense and you look at what Nick Mullins and some of the other quarterbacks did down the stretch for San Francisco with the limited weapons that they had, you add in a Debo Samuel, you know, hopefully a healthy Dante Pettis, even though he's had a a mixed review here in, in preseason and training camp. And then, you know, George Kittle coming back as probably the the tight end two right behind Kelsey. There's some things there to work with. Uh, we we both like the running backs there and in, uh, in in San Francisco with uh, Tevin Coleman. We're, we're a little bit lukewarm on, but specifically Breda, who we'll talk about here in a minute. But I, I think there's there's upside there. I, I think when you look at it with with Jimmy Garoppolo right now, because of the small sample size, it's a glass half full, glass half empty situation to where it could really go either way. I can see things, him finishing in the top 10, and I can also see him finishing towards the bottom as far as quarterbacks go. So the range of outcomes is wide there, but the ceiling's as high as any of the quarterbacks down here in that range. Would you agree that he's kind of like where the top 12 ceiling like stops? Because I feel like after Jimmy G, you're looking at Matt Stafford, um, Josh Allen, who I think Josh Allen's got the legs, but I, like, like, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Do you think Jimmy G is that last guy that you can get who has realistic top 10 upside? You know, one of the guys that I've been warming up to uh, recently is, is Sam Darnold. I think he's still a year away. But also when we look down here at, at, at this this group down here, we've seen Andy Dalton do it before. So I think Sam Darnold and Andy Dalton, while they're going undrafted or being streamed in most cases, I think those guys have a, a long shot ceiling of, of that that. QB 12 type of range if things break just right but ultimately we both are the guys I just think they're missing the weapons to get there and they're not quite there Andy Dalton's more on the downside of his career and I think Sam Donald's probably a, a year away from uh, being able to be a, a, a real challenger to be up there in that, that quarterback 15 to quarterback 12 range so it'll be interesting to see but yeah I think Garoppolo is probably like the last one when you start talking about a QB 20 and below that has top 12 upside so QB number 19 right now is Minnesota's own Kirk Cousins. Scott, you think that's a little bit too high, don't you? 
No, absolutely not. I think that's way too low. Kirk Cousins is my quarterback sleeper. You start looking at what he did last year. He had a QB9 finish. And to me, I just think this is much too low for Kirk Cousins, even when you start dialing back the volume that he's going to have there in, in Minnesota. You start looking at the the wide receivers with Thielen and Diggs. And, you know, <laughs> I saw him play the other day. And, hey, our guy, Dalvin Cook, looked good and breaking off an 85-yard run. I think they're going to score, and I think they're going to like keep drives moving. So while the volume I don't think will quite be what it was last year for Kirk Cousins, I can see some improvement with the efficiency that can keep him in that, that QB 12, QB 13, 14 range. So I, I just think right now Kirk Cousins is going to outperform his ADP at, at QB 19. I have no problems. I already have him on a couple of the teams that I've drafted. He's one of the guys that I'm targeting late as a, a QB2, and I really don't mind coming out of him as, as a QB1 and streaming. So, you know, the, he's just a guy that I'm all in for this year. I think he's performed and has enough of a history with his performance where you know what you're getting at this point in time. He's not going to go off and, and win you games the way Aaron Rodgers and some of these other guys do, but I don't think he's going to be the guy that loses you games. I think you're going to get enough production week in and week out of, out of Kirk Cousins to, to go ahead and wait and throw him in there as you're your starter on uh on game days and, and and feel comfortable with it. at least i do he's been between 18.8 and 17.4 each of the last four years per game so he's been pretty consistent but like you're mentioning i mean just really quick scott i mean this is a guy who's who keeps putting up top 12 potential but somehow every year he's going down the draft boards like you know why do you think that's the case He's had some bad games, especially later on in the season. And, and last year was when he started to fade. You saw it whenever they switched offensive coordinate, coordinators and uh, John Filippo was fired. But I, I think the numbers and the production is just there. When I'm getting 4,200 yards and 30 touchdowns out of a, a round 12, round 13 quarterback, I mean, that's that's nice numbers. That's nice production. It's too much for me to pass up as late as he's going with the value. Going to our next guy, actually, we're going to, um, I'm going to say our next guy because I know, Scott, you're right on board with me with this. Um, I have no shame in saying this was going to be one of your guys. And look, that's fine. You know, I think I, I love sharing guys and, you know, we can all kind of talk about it. So Matt Breda, um, we're both super high on. Uh, that's going to be my sleeper at the running back position. I mean, what isn't there to say about Matt Breda? I think, you know, you look at what he did last year and I, I think it's fair to say that he kind of came as a surprise. Um you know, I, I was a guy, you know, to draft him a lot. I drafted him $1 bids in auctions, last rounds of drafts, because I just really liked the the potential there. And look, the guy's still young. He's got an easy strength of schedule this year, and you're getting him basically for free. He's coming off the board right now in uh, as the number 111th player in your drafts. And I just, I think that's robbery at this point. I think you look at Tevin Coleman, and while Tevin Coleman's got, an amazing raw talent. I feel like we've we've said that every year. You know, I feel like we've said we're waiting on that Tevin Coleman breakout, but it's just I don't know if it's going to happen. And I think Breda is the most talented back out there. You know, we just got you know finished talking about Kyle Shanahan, so I just really love everything Breda's bring. I think when you're drafting, if you're listening to this, Breda's going to really stay off a lot of people's radars. I'm not. I haven't really seen him jump in the rankings. I'm I'm, I'm looking at Duke Johnson this past weekend. I saw a fourth round and a fifth round pick at Duke Johnson. But I'm seeing Breda stay where he's at, so I think he's a good... He's one of these players who's going to stay under the radar for a while, and I think you just have to ride that wave, and you're just going to have to get him in every draft. I think you look at his upside, not only in the passing game, but the run game. I mean, the guy looks phenomenal between the tackles. He's running people over. We saw him on Saturday night catch a beautiful 
beautiful, beautiful ball from Jimmy. Uh, I don't even think it was actually Garoppolo. I'm not even going to say I don't think it was Garoppolo. She made a nice diving catch in the end zone. I think we see the talent there. And, Scott, you tend to agree, right? I mean, this is someone who graded extremely well, and, and just the raw athleticism is there. Yeah, you talk about Breda. He's a uh, 89th percentile spark athlete, so uh, the the athleticism just oozes out of Breda. And the toughness he had last year, I think, is one of the things that impressed me more than anything. And when you start talking about a, a running back that's going past, I think, what, he's running back 41 right now being drafted yeah. as far as ADP. Look, last year he had 258 total yards against Kansas City. It, you know, is that a, a great defense there in Kansas City last year? No. But what running back that's being drafted, running back 40 or lower, has that type of upside to go ahead in there and perform? A lot of these guys you're projecting and you're guessing, hey, if he gets the volume, then he may be able to do this. With Breda, we know that's the situation. We talked about Jarek McKinnon and his struggles coming back from the injury earlier. Tevin Coleman is there and is probably going to get the, the first crack, but the versatility and toughness that Breda brings along with you know the, the history. He's got history last year. We saw what he can do. I think right now for me personally, he, he's on almost every team that I'm drafting. He's just one of my guys for 2019 that I'm trying to come out of every single draft with. And Andrew, I know we, dra- we draft here coming up in a, in a couple of leagues this week. It's, gonna be a fight it's for probably going to be a fight for him. So it, it's... <laughs> Either me or you, one of us is probably going to be jumping up and overdraft him higher than what he's been going just to make sure we get him. And it's just going to be interesting to see who goes higher. And so, but while, while, while we love everything Breda brings, let's talk about it. And we just have to be, you know, we got to be conservative about it. But look, like you mentioned, he's going off the board as RB42. So basically anything, anything we say is a value. But do you think that barring injury, which we're not going to predict an injury here, barring injury... Breda's probably got a ceiling capped at what, RB20? I mean, assuming Coleman is healthy and McKinnon plays a little bit, like, we, there's no way Braden is going to be a top 20-ish guy, do you think? Like, do you think he, he would have to have kind of a full backfield to do that? I mean, we've seen Kamara be an RB1 with 13 touches a game, but, you know, what do you think that true ceiling is for Breda? Look, I, I think Breda could finish as high as RB18, maybe. I mean, Breakouts okay. usually happen when efficiency meets volume. Last year, he was efficient. He was seventh among running backs with breakaway runs. He was seventh among running backs with six yards per touch. So the, there's there's definitely efficiency there. And and if the if Shanahan uses him the way we saw in that this last preseason game, getting him split out wide, getting touches, getting sweeps to the outside, and and, and that I, I think the sky's the limit for him. I think. It's hard to say this, but I actually think he's a more talented back than Tevin Coleman. I, I he like is. what I already Te- said it. I agree. I, I like what Tevin Coleman brings to to the table, but I mean, Breda's up there. I just I think he's undervalued from a talent standpoint, and I I think if this offense can get the ball rolling in, in the passing game and open up some things for Breda, I think he's going to have a nice role. Look. I, I'm almost writing Jared McKinnon off, and I think this is just going to be a two-headed backfield with Coleman and, and Breda here. And I think there's going to be enough volume for both of them to to be a consistent flex and be running back two upside. So he's a guy just where he's going. I can't get enough of him. I can't push the button fast enough in the rounds that I'm drafting him. Scott mentioned Breda out wide last year. He was you know he only played in uh, 14 started 14 games. We played in uh, 13 of them. Um, look, Breda was on pace for around 40 catches, 350 yards receiving. So the guy can catch the football. So PPR leagues, he's really fantastic. He was about 11.6 PPR points per game last year. So 
Breda at RB42, it's it's free. It is free. I say it so much, but that is a free running back. Take him, take him, take him. Now to another guy who's more free than Breda. Probably a lot of people don't know who he is, Scott. Justice Hill in Baltimore. Tell the people about Justice Hill because I'm pretty sure he's not a household name. Look, the thing about Justice Hill, we just talked about Matt Breda, and they're very similar. One's 5'10", 198. The other one's 5'9", 195 pounds. I, I, they're both 4'4", 40 athletes. I, I mean, you, you look at what they both offer, and they remind me a lot of each other. They can both catch the ball. They're both versatile. You look, Justice Hill was playing ahead of Chris Carson as a, as a freshman. Chris Carson couldn't get on the field as a starter over at Oklahoma State because of the talent that Justice Hill brought. As far as that Baltimore Ravens offense goes, they're going to be very run-centric this year. And I think Justice Hill just brings an explosiveness and a different style of play that Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards don't bring to that backfield. So when you're looking for explosive plays and, and, and that satellite back that, that's going to be more than just a third down running back, I think Justice Hill is a guy that has a lot of upside that's going way too late. So he's another guy that I'm planting my flag on right now, trying to get in as many drafts as I can. I'm really happy to get him anywhere after around 10, 11. I mean, it's just a lot of value. I think you, you really have to go with high upside plays and guys that can do it all. And Justice Hill is one of these guys that has the versatility if he gets the chance. Does he have the versatility to be a back, though, that can really play three downs? Because, I mean, you know, what I see in Justice Hill, which could be wrong, I see just really that change of pace third down back. I mean, do you really think he could be someone who could take carries away from Mark Ingram? Look, three down backs are, are rare in this day and age. So those are the guys that are going in the first round. Does Justice Hill have the build to be that? No, he doesn't. But look, if you got a guy, and we talked about Duke Johnson, that can get 10 to 12 carries and is very efficient and explosive and is getting the ball out in space and, and making runs that are that are you know more than 20 yards, I, I think Justice Hill has the ability to do that and can be a running back two slash flex if he gets the opportunity. So as far as the upside goes, I'm drafting him mainly for upside. He did, still does have to go through Mark Ingram to get that, but I think he can start to cut in to some of Mark Ingram's workload because of the versatility and, and explosiveness that he brings that Mark Ingram probably doesn't have. Kind of going, staying in the AFC, actually, to the team who they actually beat the Ravens in the playoffs. Um, I'm looking into Justin Jackson. I'm I'm just really more intrigued by just where he's going in drafts, and I say this, and he's risen up in ADP recently, so he's actually a above Justice Hill now in ADP, and you probably know the name because of the Melvin Gordon holdout. So I'm just super intrigued by what he brings. I'm just in the camp of I do not see Austin Eckler carrying most of that workload in Los Angeles. I really just don't see it at all. I see more of a possibility that Justin Jackson is going to get more of the goal line work and kind of gets get probably 10 to 12 touches a game. And I think what we saw out of him towards the end of the year last year was not terrible. We saw We even saw a game where he caught seven balls. I mean... Justin Jackson, I just I like where he's going. I think if you see a Gordon holdout, I think you're going to get a lot of Justin Jackson. I mean, he's not a super efficient guy when it comes to um, athleticism, but I just kind of like what he brings to that offense. And I just I can't buy into this Eckler hype. You know, I see Eckler going so early in drafts, and I just you can get Justin Jackson at the end of your drafts, guys. I think they're more dedicated dedicated to making it a 50-50 split, and I just think Justin Jackson is going to feast on that. I, I think as long as Gordon's out. Jackson is really a sleeper I'm trying to target. Now, granted, though, if Gordon turns around tomorrow, don't listen to this part of the podcast. You know, I don't think he's got the value, but I just like where he's going. I think you could you could be getting someone who's going into that 50-50 timeshare 
for possibly 10 weeks of the season. And I think we know what happens towards the end of the year. We see the Justin Jack- Jacksons, the Ecklers, the um, Damian Williams. We see these guys pop up off waivers. So I really love Justin Jackson to start off in your drafts. Um, I think if you're drafting Zeke or you're reaching on some guys, I think Jackson in the last few rounds are, are a good value. I, th- I think they believe in Jackson. He's looked good in the preseason. And I just kind of like what he brings. Um, Scott, do you agree that he's just kind of that – that sleeper stab, maybe someone to kind of get you through the first 10 weeks? Or do you think if you, do you really think that Eckler's actually, let me, let me phrase it to you this way. Do you think Eckler's going to get the mo- most of that work? Or do you think Jack- Jackson's going to have some value? I think people are, are over projecting Eckler a little bit. I, I actually think his role is going to remain pretty much the same as what he had. He may see an increase of two to three touches, but I, I think Justin Jackson's going to be the guy to, to kind of fill that. The interesting part for me is I think if you're going to go ahead and draft Melvin Gordon and take that chance, which you're still going to get a, a little bit of a value, he's starting to slip into the fifth round in some some drafts that I'm seeing. But even if you're one of the guys that go ahead and, and draft Zeke, I think Justin Jackson, from a roster construction standpoint, is one of those guys that can be a bridge to carry you to to kind of get you over that the insurance standpoint of, of those first couple of games if Zeke does hold out and especially if you're going to draft Melvin Gordon I think you have to to go ahead and get Justin Jackson for me one of the things that I've been a little bit critical on is the people that are drafting Melvin Gordon are also spending a high draft pick on Eckler and I just think that's the wrong way to play that because if Melvin Gordon comes back week eight week two week three whenever I think you're overdrafting Eckler at that point Eckler does have standalone value but he's being overdrafted for what I project his his volume to be in that offense so you kind of agree so I mean just I mean in an ideal world I think I think you're gonna eye Eckler if you're that Gordon if you're that Gordon owner because the PPR uh, potential is there but you know like you mentioned I mean if you're getting Gordon just where Eckler's going it's got to be Justin Jackson every time right yeah, I mean, for me, I just think if you draft Melvin Gordon and you cannibalize your team's upside by drafting Eckler high just to as an insurance or as a to cover those weeks that Gordon's going to be out, I think the play is much more Justin Jackson because of the, the value that you're getting that late. And I think Justin Jackson's clearly going to be the guy that's getting a lot of early down work. And I, I think it's going to be split between he, he and Eckler. And for me, Eckler's starting to, to go just too high. I don't think you waste two draft picks high within the, the first six rounds rounds on on one running back backfield it's just not the way to do it and and for me and if like I said if you're going to draft Zeke if you're going to draft Gordon Justin Jackson's one of these guys that can bridge the gap until those guys come back as insurance all right so from one rookie back to another Scott talk a little bit about your next sleeper because man we agree with a lot of these guys because I, I I keep finding myself coming out of drafts especially this weekend with this AFC East running back so how about you talk about him yeah, I think Devin Singletary is definitely a guy that that interests me. Look, not great on the workout metrics. He's undersized at 5'7", 203, but he's looked really good in preseason. He had a nice touchdown run against Detroit. Word out of the Buffalo is that the coaches absolutely love what he brings to the table. He's got really good vision. He's shown the ability to catch the ball. So other than being undersized, I don't think there's not much to love with with. Devin Singletary there's 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 plenty of things here from just a skill point standpoint that if he gets the ball if you want to project him especially for guys going late we look at how are they going to get to valuable playing time how are they going to get what's their path to to enough volume enough touches to to have significant upside look 
you're talking about an old Frank Gore who's look, Frank Gore's a legend as far as taking care of himself and, and working out and what he's done in this league. He's gonna be a Hall of Famer. But Shady McCoy is another. You're talking about two 30-year-old plus running backs there on a way, like the the way back side of their career. And, and you've heard rumblings that McCoy could be traded or cut or, or whatever. Look, I like Devin Singletary, and I think where you can get him this late in drafts, look, he's a no-brainer as far as like upside. He's actually starting to, to creep up a few rounds now and, and not be totally free, but he, right now he's the running back 50. You know, pick 133. So you're talking there in the 12th round, guys with upside who can be a running back one on their team. Devin Singletary is definitely a chance I'm willing to take. Devin Singletary or Darwin Thompson PPR leagues? For me, I think it's Devin Singletary just because I think he has an easier path to to production and and getting into that running back one role there for Buffalo. I think uh, Darwin Thompson's going to need a little bit more help and uh at this point in time you just look at who's in front of them and, and look at their adp and damian williams is being drafted much higher than what LaShawn mccoy is so if i had to pick who's more likely to fail between those two and open up a path for devin singletary or darwin thompson i'm gonna bet against shady mccoy i agree as well so now let's jump into these wide receivers scott Tyrell Williams is someone I'm looking at. Um, again, I think it's someone we've talked about. We've kind of shared that love for, you know, especially in the later rounds. I think when when you look into sleepers and you really talk about sleepers, it's kind of hard to find um, discretions with them, right? I mean, you see these late round guys, and you, you kind of share that upside. I mean, when you go to when you go to um, the bust, well, you have a little bit of disagreements. But I mean, look with with where Tyrell Williams is going. I mean, this is a guy who had a top ten contested contested catch rate last year didn't have a lot of drops he's had a thousand yard season in los angeles i mean the guy has just been undervalued his whole career in my opinion and i think the the acquisition of mike williams in the draft for the chargers really pushed his role out so now he ends up in oakland where you have antonio brown we don't know what he's gonna do honestly at all i mean i don't know what he's gonna do when he leaves his house tonight i mean like you don't know with antonio brown right so i think the upside's there if brown's not there but i think if brown is there tyrell still has that upside i mean we're seeing hunter renfro make plays in practice but i think tyrell's gonna have this role that is just gonna be he's gonna be a deep threat guy he's gonna make contested catches i think I'm just excited about his role for where he's going i mean you're looking at someone who you can get in these last few rounds again and i think he's got I think in this in this round range of receivers, Scott, and you can disagree with me if I'm wrong, would you agree that he's got kind of the highest floor, right? Like if you're drafting someone this late, you're kind of expecting him to give you a high floor, which is also a really good thing to look for late in drafts when everyone's off the board. Yeah, there's some guys down here, and we'll talk about a, a few other ones that are in the same range just in just a bit. But look, I like what Tyrell Williams has done from, from a career standpoint. You know, he's had... Uh, a nice season there in 2016 where he had 119 targets caught 69 of them for right over a thousand yards and seven touchdowns even last year he still put up decent numbers in the touchdown he had five touchdowns look he only started 10 games last year for the Chargers. was banged up a bit and i, I just think there in in oakland with the wild card of, of what antonio brown's going to do and even if antonio brown is healthy he's going to take off some of the pressure from Tyra Williams. But look, that Oakland offense is is going to be better than what people think. And I think they're going to have to pass the ball more than what people expect because that defense isn't really too good. So I like Tyrell Williams and, and what he offers this late. And look, he's, he's one of the guys that you're drafting this late 
taking a dart throw, 14, 15 round. He's got the upside. He It's within a range of possibilities for him to finish as a wide receiver, 25 to, to 30 range. I think that's his ceiling. That's his upside. Look, if, if Antonio Brown quits, gives up on the team, gets hurt, whatever the case may be, he, he becomes a, a wide receiver one in an offense that's probably going to move the ball pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you hear what Scott says. I think I think that upside is fair. I think that's kind of the range he's going. But again, Scott says that, and he's going around wide receiver 48, 48 to fifty-two, and in, in a lot of different different um, expert rankings. So you're seeing him go that late with an upside double that. I think it's just I think it's just the way to go late in drafts. I think you know when you start getting down to those last few rounds, the wide receiver position really fucking thins out like it thins out to shit so i think you see a guy like Trevor williams i just i think he gotta hop all over it so now going to one of your sleepers who again we've talked about a lot in this podcast we agree on marquez valdez scandling out in green bay we've seen aaron Rodgers support almost three top 12 receivers before Rodgers has done a lot of good stuff with his wide receivers so you think where valdez scandling's going is way too late right Look, we, we talked about him, and he's a, he's a guy that's on sleeper list. So this isn't somebody we're, we're pulling out of the depths. I just think that even at wide receiver 44 right now, that's that's too late. I have him up around the wide receiver 38, 37 range. I think he has you know, top 24 upside if things break right. We've definitely seen Aaron Rodgers support top 24 wide receivers before. Devontae Adams is a shoe-in to be a, a top 24 wide receiver probably going to be fighting there for the, the wide receiver one, two, or three. And I just think when you start looking at guys this late and you got to look at the quarterbacks in the teams that they're attached to in the history, does that quarterback have a history of being able to support two top 24 wide receivers? And I think for most people, when they're, they're getting back into this range, it's a decision between Marquez Valdez-Scantlin and Geronimo Allison. Allison had a nice start to last season before he got hurt. But for me, I just like the speed, the upside, and athleticism, especially the size that Marquez Valdez-Scantlin offers in this offense. And I, I think, look, I think this is going to be a bounce-back year for Aaron Rodgers, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if Aaron Rodgers finishes the year as the QB1, even though I don't think he's the GOAT. I think Tom Brady's the GOAT, and uh, that's an argument that we'll probably have to our dying days. But Look, Scantlin's a guy that I think is going too late. I think wide receiver 44 is about seven or eight spots too low. Are you scared off by Geronimo Allison at all? No, I'm not scared off by, by Geronimo Allison. I just think Scantling is, I think MVS is just a better athlete all around. Um, Allison's going to play that big slot role there, and he's going to get his. And I think they'll have different games where, where Allison does well versus Scantling. But look, if, I, if I'm going all upside at this point in time, I like the second-year guy. Going to my next sleeper, which is someone who I feel nasty about because last year I felt like I was picking out the next great wide receiver late in drafts, but I wasn't. So Michael Gallup in Dallas, Scott, he's going off the board right now as wide receiver 53 in that range in PPR leagues. And I just think the upside's there. I think you have the looming the looming issue with Cooper. Um, it's reported today that Cooper plans to be out there week one, but he's still dealing with this plantar fascia foot stuff. And I just think it's it's a little nerve-wracking to see Cooper dealing with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm coupling Gallup's upside in with that. And I'm also coupling in with that he looks good. I think last year we saw him, you know, um, the last five games he played, three of those last five games, uh, double-digit fantasy points. I think he missed a game due to family reasons, so we're not going to count that. But 
I mean, look, it was someone who played 15, uh, 16 games last year. Excuse me, 15 games. Excuse me, I'm thinking fantasy weeks. But 15 games last year, 507 yards, 33 catches. I mean, I think the upside's there to approach 60 catches. I think you're in, some of y'all might think that's not a lot. But if this is someone who can flirt with 60 catches, 800 yards, and four touchdowns. It's not great numbers, but it's going to flirt around that wide receiver 35 to 40 range most likely. So I kind of like Gallup late in drafts. Again, he's someone who you're getting free. And I think the upside is there to where if Cooper's out, you could be looking at someone who could flirt with that flex range on, on your fantasy roster. And I think when you look this late in drafts, that's what you have to key in on. Scott, we, we, saw, we didn't see it really play out on the field last year for Gallup. So were you kind of turned off by him really not succeeding like we thought last year? Or do you kind of have the faith that he can kind of, you know, regroup and um, save his value this year? Look, jumping from college to the pros, especially for wide receivers, isn't always an easy transition. You're looking at guys like Nkeel Harry and DK Metcalf and some of these other guys in this year's draft class that are that are struggling already. I think Michael Gallup is, is going to see a jump in, in year two. I think he's a great dart throw this late. Uh, you know, we talked about Amari Cooper and, and him kind of bat, battling through some foot injuries right there. Gallup's impressed this, this year in, in training camp and, and so far in the preseason. I, I think he has... A nice upside, you know, coming out of college, he had a 75th percentile dominator rating as far as wide receivers goes. And last year, he was a hot name, hot commodity. Didn't quite take off the way we thought he would. He did still have some moments catching deep balls. And, you know, look, he's top 16 wide receiver as a rookie in yards per reception at 15.4. So they're going to attempt to get him the, the ball deep. I, I, I like what that offense is doing. I, I like you know, the the direction that the Cowboys are trying to move. Like we said, we talked about when we we're talking about Zeke and Tony Pollard, this is a Super Bowl window for them. So you bring in Reggie Cobb in the slot to kind of take over with, with Cole Beasley. He's been injured. I don't think he's a, a real threat to take away. The interesting thing for me is going to be if Michael Gallup can get like an 18 to 20% target share of this offense and the targets in it over there for the Cowboys. I think if he does, I think he can flirt with a wide receiver two to to that type of flex range, really. Wide receiver two, wide receiver three. So I, I think he's another guy. You're going to go ahead and bet on the pedigree, bet on that second-year jump. And, and this late, that's all you're doing. You're taking upside. So we saw Gallup last year in the playoffs. He got six targets in each of those games. He got six targets to close out the year in New York. So do you think that could be a trend? Maybe, you know, it's he's kind of starting to show – he was starting to show himself at the end of the year last year. We're seeing it in preseason right now. So, I mean, do you, do you think that just now with Cole Beasley cleared out of there, you just think maybe the, the pathway to targets are there? Yeah, I definitely think it is. And I, I just think that it, he cemented himself uh, in that wide receiver two role there with the Cowboys. And, and if there's any concern with the, the injury that and that Amari Cooper is dealing with right now, he can move into the wide receiver one and get a lot of volume. So I think this late, he's one of those dart throws that you're looking for to get that upside. Scott, we saw last night, um, which is Sunday night, Dante Moncrief, um, Got a little bit of action with the with the ones. Uh, we see James Washington catch himself a touchdown, but you like Moncrief the best, right? I, I know we've seen Washington. We've been keying it, keying in on him all preseason. You still think Moncrief's the guy to own out there? 
Look, Ben Roethlisberger has played 19 snaps here in the preseason, and Dante Moncrief has been in as the wide receiver, too, and all 19 of those snaps. You're seeing James Washington flash. I think James Washington definitely has the talent there. And I think all three of these guys are going to play. Juju's going to get a lot of work there in the slot and be the top the top target getter there in Pittsburgh. But I think Moncrief is going to be the, that wide receiver, too. Everything the coaches have done is leading us to, to believe that based upon the way they've played, everything that's come out of training camp the beat reporters just all signs point to Moncrief being that number two wide receiver and I know we've beaten this stat to death like a dead horse here on, on all of our podcasts but 225 vacated targets I, I think whenever you start looking at guys who can get a piece of that and, and have the upside and look if something happens to Juju who's going to be the the top guy there you know so this late in the game look I want to buy targets I want to buy volume and, and this late in the game for, for where Dante Moncrief's going, to me, he's a, a no-brainer value as a wide receiver, 49, coming off the board at pick 134. So are you not worried that we've had Dante Moncrief, I feel like, on this pedestal for a few years now, right? I think every year, except for last year, you know, when he was in Indianapolis, we thought it was going to happen. We thought it was going to happen, and it just never showed up on the field, right? I mean, uh, do, are we sure that the talent is there for him to be a, a, a good fantasy option? Look, athletically, the talent's there. His, his most comparable player on player profiles, Andre Johnson. Is he Andre Johnson? Hell no, he's not Andre Johnson. <laughs> but I, I think physically the talent's there. And sometimes it takes wide receivers and just players in general a, a few years for it to click. You know, he, he didn't do what everybody hoped he might do there in Jacksonville last year, but that's with Blake Bortles. You know, he's had some up and down years there with Andrew Luck coming in and out, having injuries and whatnot. So in an offense that passes the ball as much as what Pittsburgh does, you have a veteran quarterback. I like the scheme there with Ben Roethlisberger. I think the upside's there for him to get the volume. And when we're talking this late, you know, this is a dart throw, somebody that you can go ahead and cut off your team. I've seen drafts where Dante Moncrease going undrafted, like coming off the waiver wire. So I just, I'm buying volume. So even if you don't believe in Dante Moncrief, the player, Dante Moncrief, the talent, you at least want to try to buy the volume and buy a piece of the puzzle there in Pittsburgh in that offense that throws the ball 600 plus times a year. Now going to the worst position in fantasy, uh, aside from kicker and defense, of course, tight end. Now these sleepers right here. I mean, look, it's tight end, so these sleepers are guys who you're going to probably, you could look up your team right now, they might be on waivers. So my guy I'm looking at is, I'm, I'm looking at Jack Doyle here. I think he's basically going free as my sleeper at the tight end position. Um, you know, you look at Doyle and you see the production last year. You saw he was on pace for 68 catches in an offense that threw a lot, of course, so you're going to see a little bit of a downtick in attempts, but look, Last time Doyle played with Brissett over a full season, you saw Brissett target him 23% of the time. So I really like Doyle's upside as that tight end two, I guess, kind of late, later in drafts. I mean, again, it's a free guy. So, you know, if you're looking for someone to pair with Chris Herndon, I think this is the guy to do it. You can get those guys in the last two rounds of drafts. And I just think you see a guy last year who was on pace for 68 catches. He had 80 the year before. He had 60 the year before. So I think you look at a guy like Doyle, and he's shown that he can do it while he's on the field. So, again, the injury concerns are there. But, look, this is, after all, it's sleeper tight ends. And these guys could really bust out and we really wouldn't care. So, 
Um, Scott, do you think it's the concern of injury? Do you think it's the concern of Jacoby Brissett? Do you think it's the concern of Eric Ebron? Do you really have an interest in Jack Doyle? Do you think that he can kind of get back to what he was doing? Because last year he was averaging 10 fantasy points per game in PPR, 11 the year before. And if you like it or not, double-digit fantasy points on a week-to-week basis from your tight end is really the best you can do if you don't have Kelsey, Ertz, or Kittle. I like Jack Doyle, the player. I don't like Jack Doyle, the, the situation there in Indianapolis. We, we talked about everything that's going on with Andrew Luck, but you basically have a quarterback switch, which is a downgrade from Luck to Jacoby Brissett. You have the factor of Eric Ebron and the touchdowns. While I still think he's going to have some regression, and I still think Jack Doyle can eat into that, that playing time and just the targets that Ebron received last year. I just think there's a lot going on there in Indianapolis that, for me, I would actually shy away from. I think the other name that you hit on was was key there, and that, that's Chris Herndon and, and you know who, who you can get. Look, we both like Jordan Reed. Jordan Reed got a concussion. The concussions is what scares me the most as far as injury goes with, uh, with Jordan Reed. But I think Jordan Reed's a nice bridge to Herndon. That being said, as far as talking about Doyle, I just don't know if we're going to – have a clear enough picture there in Indianapolis. But like you said, you can get Doyle off the waiver wire at this point in time. So if week one you throw somebody else in there and, and Doyle shows out, look, have him on your list, go grab him off the waiver wire, and then maybe you can throw him in there. But I think Herndon's a guy that we definitely need to keep an eye on as he comes back off of suspension. I love Chris Herndon. Um, you know, I, I didn't really include him in here because I guess he's got the four-game suspension, so it's kind of like hard to classify him as a keeper. I mean, a, a sleeper, excuse me. So... Yeah, but man, I love everything Chris Herndon brings. I'm getting a lot of Chris Herndon, but I know you, we love Chris Herndon, but you don't have him as your sleeper, Scott. Talk about your sleeper because he is starting to get the buzz. We're starting to hear it out of out of Detroit Lions training camp. So talk about him. Look, you know it. I know it. <laughs> From... From a dynasty standpoint, well before draft time hit, I was all over TJ Hawkinson. He's, he's a guy I really, really like. Uh, I just think when you look at the talent, he's the most well-rounded tight end that, that's come into the league in, in quite some time. And look, he's being drafted right now as the, the tight end 16, pick 162. So you're getting him very late. And whenever you're going to go late tight end like this, Look, you need to throw a dart at the, the the young athletic upside. TJ Hawkinson's definitely got that. While rookie tight ends haven't historically performed very well, last year you had Herndon, you had Mark Andrews, who both, both performed well. But look, what I've seen in preseason, you, you pay attention to the beat reporters. Everything about TJ Hawkinson's been nothing but glowing reviews. He got into the game the other night against Buffalo, and I think the important thing is going to be his usage. And he ran a route on 15 of Matt Stafford's 19 pass attempts. Of those 15 pass attempts, he was targeted on four of them, caught three of them for 52 yards. I, I like the way that he was used. I, I think he's going to be everything that Eric Ebron wasn't there in Detroit. And I, I think he's going to be a big part of this Detroit offense. Are you worried about the stigma that rookie tight ends really do nothing their first year? Look, we're, we're talking about late-round guys here. So for me... I give two shits about the stigma. Normally, it's true. Look, rookie tight ends don't historically perform well, but the ones that do have end up being elite. So whenever I'm talking about TJ Hawkinson, if I draft him and he doesn't work out, it's an easy cut. Are you are you really eyeing? Um, do you think in redraft, Hawkinson's got value to where if you kind of, I'm bridging, I'm using Hawkinson to bridge myself to Herndon in a keeper league I draft. 
do you think Hawkinson could probably give some good value those first four weeks? Look, and I, I definitely do. I think in redraft, when we start looking at it, look at the guys above him that it would take for him to to get to be a, a tight end one. And we're talking about the top 12 tight ends. I can see Eric Ebron falling off. I, I can see a case for for Hawkinson being above Njoku. There's a there's a lot of mouths to feed there in Cleveland. You know, there's a lot of mouths to feed with Austin Hooper there in Atlanta. Are they in better positions and better offenses? Yes, but are we banking on Delaney Walker? You know, who's the tight end twelve right now coming off the board? Uh, or are we banking on Delaney Walker in that Tennessee offense coming back and and putting up the numbers that he used to? Kyle Rudolph. Another one, Greg Olson, another one. So there's guys there that I can see him leapfrogging. I think he's definitely got the pedigree. He's definitely a better talent than some of the guys that I just named. But I I think there's opportunity there for him to outperform his ADP. And I think there's just very little downside to to taking a guy like TJ Hawkinson late to where if it doesn't work out, you cut him and grab somebody else off the waiver wire. I mean, below him, there's still viable options out there. TJ Hawkinson's the the tight end 16, so you're talking pick 162. You've got guys like Trey Burton, Jordan Reed, Jimmy Graham, Chris Herndon. You just talk about Jack Doyle, Noah Fant. I mean, there's guys out there. I, I think there's a there's a, a, a argument to be made that Jason Witten can be a key streamer there in Dallas week in and week out, especially if things don't work out at, at the wide receiver position. So there's other guys there. I think Darren Waller's a guy that we haven't talked up enough there in Oakland, who's another guy who could be a, a young breakout. I think you just have to look at what's there late in your drafts. And I don't think the the tight end position, if you're not getting one of those top three guys, I, I think I'm comfortable late and waiting late and taking a shot at some of these guys, given what's going to be out there on the waiver wire. Well, that was about 48 minutes worth of sleepers around that time. Not a bad amount. Scott, is there, any, is there anyone that we didn't touch on real quick that you think, uh, any position that would be valuable to let people know to watch out for this week in their drafts? No, like I said, I think I think Darren Waller is a guy that you can take in the last round of your draft at the tight end position that's going to surprise some people. So be on the lookout for him. You know, Pay attention to, to what's been going on at Hard Knocks. They said the guy's been unguardable there in camp. So he's, he's another guy to keep an eye out for. Now, man, I just... I keep saying it's got it's that time of the year, man. These fantasy drafts just keep going and going and going. Do you have really any advice before we get out of here and we we send it home? Any advice to anyone drafting this week? Is there anything that they should be keying in on? Should they be looking harder at the Zeke thing? Should they be watching for anything? Because I feel like preseason week four really doesn't mean anything fantasy wise. So I think it's kind of like it, it's over, right? I think you know you're, you're drafting these players now off of everything you've already seen. Yeah, if I if I had any late late draft season advice, I guess you would say is if you're gonna take Gordon or Zeke, we talked about it with, with Justin Jackson. Have a plan to bridge that gap if they do end up missing some time, and also be on the lookout for the Tampa Bay running back situation. We talked about Ogumboom. Yeah. Oh jeez. Oh, we talked about the uh, guy who we can't pronounce his name, and I'm not even gonna attempt to because <laughs> I just butchered it, but. Look, check out what's going on in, in, in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones have, have not done anything to cement themselves. And the the rookie, or excuse me, not the rookie, the the running back from Wisconsin, who I won't butcher his name, he's actually getting some run and getting to play as uh, the, the third down pass and roll running back. And even if he doesn't end up getting that position, 
be on the lookout because I think some of these guys that are going to end up getting cut, I think there's a position there in, in Tampa Bay and that running back backfield that, that is open. I think there's, there's opportunity there. So pay attention to what goes on with, with some of these cuts. Scott, where can the people find you? As always on Twitter at S Smith FF and I look, Draft Day Consultants, check us out. I've got a draft I'm about to help somebody out for here tonight. A little bit of auction action going on. So, look, I'm pumped up. Uh, we've got a draft coming up this week that we're all pumped up about that uh, I managed to blow the championship last year. So I have two straight second-place finishes. But, hey, I, I'm all about the money. At least second place is getting paid. You can follow me at Andrew WXXV on Twitter. And as always, guys, Shoot us that follow on Twitter. Shoot us that five-star on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Google Podcasts. Kind of wherever podcasts are, we are. We just like and subscribe. Leave a comment. We, we enjoy it, and we're just trying to build this up as much as we can. And we're enjoying you guys who are listening. I know a few of you guys out there, and I appreciate it. Feel free to send us DMs, mentions, reply to our tweets. Tell us that we're wrong. Tell us that we're stupid, whatever. Just communicate with us and shoot us a follow. So... For Scott Smith, I'm Andrew Scher. Good luck in your drafts. You know why? Thug them, fuck them, love them, leave them. Cause I don't fucking need them. Take them out the hood, keep them looking good. But I don't fucking feed them. First time they fuss, I'm breathing. Talking about what's the reason? I'm a pimpin' every sense of the word, bitch. Better trust and believe them. In the cut where I keep them. Till I need a nut, till I need to be the guts. Then it's beep beep, and I'm picking them up. Let them play with the dick in the truck. Many chicks wanna put chicken fist in cup. Divorce them and split his bucks. Just because you got good head, I'ma break bread so you can be living it up. Shit, I pass with nothing. Y'all be fronting. Me give my heart to a woman. Not for nothing. Never happen. I'll be forever macking. Heart cold as assassins. I got no passion. I got no patience. And I hate waiting. Don't get your ass in. And let's ride.
Know about them Texas boys coming down to candy toys, smoking weed and talking noise. 